Hey, welcome to the Week in Film Tech. This is Charles Hain. All right, so the first story this week is actually a follow-up on a story I did last week. So obviously last week was all about NAB. It was all of the cool stuff we showed there. I also talked a little bit about like why some people still want to go to NAB and why it is important. And I think that is all super relevant. There's one thing I wanted to talk about, and that was sound. I realized I really ignored sound entirely last week, and that is entirely unfair. Sound is half of your storytelling power. And there were two really cool things I saw at NAB and sound that folks should know about. The first is the new Sound Devices recorder, whose name I don't remember, but that's okay. I'm going to send out a link in this email to the No Film School video I did interviewing Sound Devices. But the reason why it is so cool is because Sound Devices has made a 32-channel recorder, which is super awesome. If you're working in reality television, you will need that many channels. But what's way more interesting to me is that they actually, so it's like a little chest-mounted recorder, they built a plate on top that has six audio receivers in it that can be powered off the same battery powering the main mixer. And this is super cool because I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but sound people in my mind, even on little indie projects, they've always got like four audio receivers hooked up to their mixer and they're changing batteries and they're buying boxes and they got like four in a loop chargers going and battery and power management is actually a huge part of the problem in a film recorder's life. So the ability to be like, okay, I've got my six audio receivers. They work with electrosonics and they work with sound devices, transmitters. So we've got these like six wireless receivers and then they're all powered together. They plug it into the recorder and they get power from the recorder. It's super cool, right? I think it's one of those things that's just like one of those nice little integrations that it's going to make your sound person's life easier. Frankly, it'll also make your best boy electrics life easier because they're going to have to worry less about making sure there's a big charging station for sound to keep all their batteries going. And it was just one of those things. It's one of those perfect NAB things where you just wander by a booth and you were like, I wonder what Sound Devices has doing. And that's what Sound Devices had doing. The other thing I wanted to bring up is we stopped by the Deity booth. Deity is an audio company. They are not part of Aperture, but they and Aperture are both sort of like part of the same umbrella. And um, they're doing a bunch of cool stuff. They've got a really nice shotgun mic that came out last year. And this year they came out with a really nice receiver. And the receiver is actually designed USB-powered with an internal battery, which means... I can charge it, and then I don't have to worry about changing its battery out on the day. And it's designed to receive two signals at once. And so it's really designed for, like, the DSLR shooter. And if you've ever been a DSLR shooter and you're out there running gun in, in the field and you've got, like, a host with a lavalier and you've got another mic or two hosts or an interview set up, you often have two receivers, like, rigged to your cage of your DSLR. Or even on bigger cameras, I've had two audio receivers rigged up trying to, like, get both of the signals live. So the ability to have one receiver that can connect to those two transmitters and has internal power. Super cool little one-stop solution at a very affordable price point for the DSLR shooter. I think you're going to start to see a lot of these on sort of the little run-and-gun interview-style productions. Because I think there's a lot of situations there where you're going to want two microphones. And everybody's always been annoyed enough having to have one receiver on their camera. Putting two has always been a real hassle. And so being able to just have one and it's got a headphone port and it's got... All of the things you sort of want out of it, it's like a super cool little device that was sort of a nice thing from Deity. Obviously, there's other people making transmitters that receive from two, but this one really felt like it was very specifically built around an indie section of the market. I think it's going to hit an indie price point. I think it's going to be sort of popular in that world, and I wanted to make sure that we gave a sort of heads up to Deity. Now we're moving on to post-NAB news, which is always super exciting that, you know, there's a little lull the week after NAB, and then things start picking up. First thing here, so Fujinon, there's like two big indie cinema lens 
competitors. There's Fujinon, who make the MK zooms, two zooms like 18 to 55 and 55 to 135, somewhere in there, a wide and a long. Uh, open to a 2.9, perfectly parfocal. I zoom in, I get focus, I zoom out, it holds focus perfectly. Parfocal, true cinema zooms, like four grand each. And then there's the Sigma Cine zooms. These are super popular because they actually accommodate deeper flange focal distance. The MK zooms only originally came out in E mount and then eventually X mount, really mirrorless mounts. Whereas the Sigma zooms were designed to work with EF mount and PL mount where there's a longer flange focal distance. So those are the big two differences. The Sigma zooms are also not technically parfocal. They're probably acceptably parfocal, but they're not perfectly parfocal. And what's interesting is it's the reverse of what you think. Depth of field in front of the lens, the bigger your depth of field in front of the lens means the smaller your depth of focus behind the lens. So actually, the lack of parfocality matters more on the wide zoom than it does on the long zoom. But the point remains, you want parfocality if you can get it, which is why we love those MK zooms. I also shoot a lot of Fuji, so I love those MK zooms. I love the Sigma Cine zooms too. I also I shoot those a lot when I'm shooting on like an EVA1 because it's not a mirrorless. Uh, I shoot the Sigma Primes a lot when on RED projects and stuff. But, you know, on a Fuji X-H1, on any mirrorless camera, on an FS7, those, I really love those Fuji MK zooms. They've been out for a couple of years. They were originally out in E-mount. They were then out in X-mount, which is Fuji's weird little mount. Um, I can't imagine that sold well, but I'm so glad they made them. They have come out officially in MFT mount. About a year ago, you could get them converted to MFT mount at a couple of places. But officially, from Fuji, you can now buy them in MFT mount. And I'm pretty sure this is for the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera. I'm like 99% sure that is the point. Meaning the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema created a market where Fuji felt like, all right, we have these two-year-old lenses. We've probably, you know, they're into their life cycle. We've sold them a bit. People are often not updating two or three-year-old products as much. And they're like, well, we're going to add this lens mount because there's this camera, the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera announced at NAB last year, which for $12.95 does 4K raw. I mean, it's a crazy camera. It doesn't have internal image stabilization, so I don't think it's the perfect camera for everything. Like, I use Fuji because I, when I'm running and gunning, I like internal image camera stabilization. But if I was going to be on a gimbal, if I was going to be doing, like, cinema work where I'm on a tripod, the pocket cinema camera is a great camera. And it doesn't really have, like, a wide variety of really great, nice zooms. At NAB, we saw Photon has, like, a prototype of one. And I'm really excited for the combination of an MK zoom, which is beautiful parfocal cinema zoom, like, really designed for proper cinema work. You can do a snap zoom like a 70s action movie with it, and it'll hold, hold focus through it combined with the pocket cinema camera. I also, I think this is a big endorsement. You know, we don't always get all the numbers out here in the marketplace. Sometimes people will brag, like, we've sold so many cameras, but we don't always have a lot of market data. But I know that all the companies have a lot of market data on each other. I know Fuji, when they made the original decision to go E-mount, they looked at the FS7, and the FS7 was obviously a big hit for Sony. And they're like, we're going to make a lens that really plays well with the FS7 and Sony because there's so many of those in the field. I think it's a great sign for the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera that we're seeing this lens out in the field. That Fujinon, very smart company, makes really good decisions came out with you know a nice set of full frame zooms that i think you're going to see in a lot i think the the new fujinon promista zooms are going to be all over the lxlf in like a year they're like it's going to be great at this low end at the indie market at the market we can afford i think it's a really interesting combination to see native mft mount and i think it's going to play really well 
with the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema Camera. The final bit of tech news this week is a company called Hedge. If you don't know Hedge, they make backup software. It's very affordable, but very nice, really nice UI. It's just for backing up your files and downloading. They have a lot of nice features, like it can tell you've already downloaded part of a card and not the other card, and it'll only download the new part, all that good stuff. So you don't end up with a whole bunch of like, oh, well, I, I didn't format and I kept shooting, and so half of it I've already downloaded and half I haven't, but I'm going to download it all to be safe mistakes. Like Hedge is a very smart piece of software. They have bought PostLab. PostLab is interesting. So to understand PostLab, you should understand a little bit about like GitHub and GitLab. So these are online platforms that allow developers to work on code repositories in a way where versioning and version control is really well managed and the ability to sort of back things up to the cloud and work on parts of a project and make changes and that kind of thing are really well handled. PostLab was invented by a bunch of people working at a Dutch public broadcaster and they wanted something like that for editors. Uh, they were like, well, editors are not that different from coders, and we work with these big files, and it would be great if we had really nice versioning and backups. And, you know, since our files are so big, we don't want to have to save, like, the entirety of our file 50 times. You know, a versioning thing that's like, oh, we can look at what, what's similar about these versions and just save differences and stuff like that keeps file sizes down, but also allows a whole lot of granular level control for filmmakers. So it's sort of a, a win-win. So PostLab is free software built to do that. What's free? Why is it exciting that Hedge bought them? So bought is really good because it means that the two people who built it are now going to work on it full time. And so far, it's been Final Cut Pro 10 only. Now they're going to pivot to it being a service, which is super exciting, which means you can pay 20 a month and use it as a service. Uh, that's not out yet, but it's going to be out, I think, this summer. And it also, in their thing, they say we're going to expand to other NLEs. And if there's one thing I'm really looking for here, it's Resolve. I, I use Resolve in Premiere a lot. But one of the things I'm, you know, Resolve's database structure makes it a little trickier than working with Premiere in terms of sharing projects and versioning and backups and stuff like that. And I'm very excited for like a full-on GitLab in this case, PostLab style versioning and cloud sharing and backup tool that I can use that's fully integrated to Resolve. People who use it in the Final Cut Pro marketplace really love it. So it's very exciting to see Hedge make this acquisition. And I think that we're going to see, apparently, the software is still going to remain free. It was built by a public broadcaster, so it has to remain free. Like WordPress, like WordPress is free, but a lot of people pay WordPress for the pre-built solution. The pre-built solution that's on the Amazon Cloud, AWS, and, and you're working with their developers and they're supporting it and they're troubleshooting will be a pay-per-user situation. And I, you know, I'm personally very excited about this. I know that it's going to be Final Cut Pro 10 only in the beginning, and I'm not, I use Final Cut Pro 10 on occasion, but it's not like my number one platform. I'm very excited to see them roll this out to other NLEs. I think it's going to be really exciting. And it's going to be a real interesting change to start having those kind of tools come uh, to other aspects of the industry. All right. That has been another week of the Week in Film Tech. You should totally subscribe to this wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Subscriber numbers are great if you're digging the show. Reach out to me on Twitter. It's at Charles Hain. People ask me questions there on the, all the time. I sometimes answer them here. We're on Instagram at onreke, O-N-R-E-K-K-E. And you can also go to weekinfilmtech.com and you can sign up for our mailing list. And I just send out an email with like follow up on stuff we talked about here. So I, I try not to spam that email list, but it's, it's very much like, Hey, you dug this MFT article. Here's some story on the podcast. Here's some stories about it. And as always come back next week and I will try and cover all of the week in film tech that you missed out because you were making stuff. <laughs> <laughs>